Welcome to the Neuropedic Sports Rehab Podcast. I'm your host, Ramez Antoon, but please call me Mez. I'm a physical therapist and a strength coach. And in this show, we talk about the continuum of clinical practice to getting back to training in the gym. We focus on sustainable performance and longevity. I'd like to thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy our show. Today, we're going to talk about how identifying pain triggers in acute low back pain can help us prevent peripheral sensitization from becoming central sensitization. This topic comes from one of my buddies, Dave. It's a really hot topic nowadays because we have this divide between the biomedical model and the biopsychosocial model and thinking that we have to make this binary choice. Well, we don't. They can live under the same roof, and that's what we get into into today's episode. For our new listeners, there's also an associated episode called Acute Low Back Pain, Where Do I Start? That is another helpful episode uh, that talks about the general topics that we talk about in this episode in a little bit more detail, that being what exactly the pain triggers are, how to categorize them, and the framework for that. So if you have not listened to acute low back pain, where do I start? I would also listen to that episode before or after this episode, doesn't really matter. All right, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Before we start, if you're a sports PT interested in a virtual mentorship, make sure you stick around for after the episode. We have more details about our 12-week mentorship program that we've been getting awesome feedback from our students. Also, if you like to consume content by reading, We drop a weekly newsletter every Friday morning with free sports rehab and fitness content. So if you're interested, make sure you check out the episode description where we have a link to sign up for our weekly newsletter. All right, without further delay, let's get into today's episode. Dave brings up a really interesting topic. He wants to discuss, or he wants me to discuss, the role of reducing exposure to pain early in the rehab process to prevent, to prevent, to prevent peripheral sensitization from proliferating into central sensitization. So I added my own little words in there, but what Dave's getting at is, and maybe I'll have him come on at some point and pick his brain about his experience with this, but early on in the rehab process, for example, if we're talking about someone with lower back pain and they're coming in with lower back pain and with all the new pain science information we have these days, we're really fixated on the central nervous system and central sensitization. But if someone just had a new episode, acute or subacute low back pain episode, and we define in terms of mechanical stressors as Stu McGill will talk about, or as Colton Bourne brings up, um, or Martin Langus is I think who I coined this term, orthopedic sensitivities. Let's say someone's flexion intolerant or they're flexion sensitive in their spine. If we can help mitigate exposure to pain early on in the rehab process, we can help prevent peripheral sensitization from becoming centralized into central sensitization. So for example, telling someone who's flexion intolerant, as Stu McGill would say in his phase one of his rehab program, is removing triggers. But what's more fundamental to removing triggers is defining what their mechanical stressors are. 
Are they load sensitive? Are they, what positional sensitivity to the, do they demonstrate? Is there a component of neural tension sensitivity by means of a slump test, a straight leg raise test, and so on? And the combination of these three variables, load, position, and neural tension, these are the three sensitivities that help us categorize someone's back pain, for example, and then provide narratives to this individual to remove the triggers. So yes, avoiding flexion, for example, if they are flexion intolerant and reframing our narratives in terms of flexion is bad for you versus we need to minimize your exposure to flexion because right now your body is sensitive to it. So we want to improve your ability to express various and different movement options to give flexion a break. So that's an example of a, a empowerment narrative to help mitigate the influence of fear avoidance behavior. Rather than saying, no, flexion is bad for you, we're removing that narrative completely and just describing what they're avoiding as a sensitization and the fact that we're working on other movement patterns, we're trying to increase their movement options. So in McGill's model, in and of itself is a desensitization process that starts with the peripheral tissue and seeing if there is a distinct mechanical trigger that turns on and off the pain, quote unquote. So I really enjoy my mentor, Martin, at the Institute of Orth Orthopedic Manual Therapy. He was very particular with the way he examined the patient or, and by exam, I mean the subjective exam and the objective exam. I'm kind of clumping those together because the questions that you ask, for example, a simple question of how is your pain first thing in the morning? And the person says, oh, I feel great in the morning. It's not till the very end of the day that I have this achy pain. And in Martin's mind, his, his background thought would, would be, okay, I'm thinking about load when I'm asking this question. After they've been unloaded all night, they feel great first thing in the morning. But then after a full day of quote unquote load, they're maybe a little bit more sensitive at the end of the day. Or when he asks them, tell me the positions, the situations or the movements that make the pain worse. And he's, he's bucketing a bunch of movements in his mind, inflection, extension, rotation. And when he created a whiteboard case study for us, he would always just bucket their subjective simply into, you know, positional buckets, load buckets. And then he would ask questions about, he would ask the patient to show him how they would sit at night to watch TV. Like he tells them exactly, show me, do you kick yourself, do you kick your leg up on the, on the bench? Are you, are you laying down? Are you sidelining? And, and he would literally go through their sleep position, the way they sit on the couch to really paint a picture of this whole person's situation and their mechanical sensitivities.
And it was a lot of patient management and patient education in the very beginning. And all I could think about, honestly, in this time, because I was, I had just been trained in pain science in my PNF residency. And then I came to um, my orthopedic residency and Martin was going through in this mind, in my mind, a desensitization process, period. He was doing all this education and teaching them and empowering them how to avoid the, the painful positions under load and doing it in, in such a elegant and empathetic way that empowered the patient rather than instilling fear avoidance behavior. But he was really coming at it from a biomechanical lens. And it was just really awesome for me to see that somebody, even though they were, even though Martin was very um, orthopedic based, he was naturally doing some of this neural desensitization um, pain science stuff almost by accident at, at times. And um, yeah, it was, it was amazing because before we even mobilized, before we even prescribed an exercise, we were starting to see improvements in, in subjective reports of pain. Uh, so is being, being able to see uh, increases in ranges of motion. And like, we haven't even done any stabilization or mobilization yet. So, uh, Dave's point of, I'll repeat the, the question and let me see if I can find the, his actual verbiage here. Maybe I should have started with that. Sorry. I, I ranted. Uh, Dave said the role of reducing exposure to pain early on to prevent sensitization of the nervous system. So I just, the only thing I add to that was to prevent, um, peripheral sensitization into turning into central sensitization. So removing triggers and teaching the patient about their sensitivities, their positional sensitivities, their load sensitivities, if there's neural tension component sensitivities, uh, what positions and situations can they mitigate and minimize so that uh, they don't make their tissue more and more sensitive. Um, so it's, it's really, I think, important for us to realize moving forward is the orthopedic and the mechanical biomechanical lens and the pain science and, and the neuroscience lens and the empowerment lens actually interdigitate together really well. And just, it's like, a, it's like they're like two puzzle pieces. And uh, that's kind of what I was trying to illustrate with my logo with the two hemispheres of the brain. It's almost like the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the brain, you know, they work better together. And it's the same thing with biomechanics, the biomechanical lens and the, and the neuro, neuroscience lenses. They work better together. And when you try to just, what I'm realizing is when you try to make it a decision, whether to look at one perspective or the other, you almost put yourself in a corner. So uh, reframing our language around what positions and, and, and situations that we want our patients to avoid in the acute phase and the subacute phase, I think there's, there's nothing wrong with giving patients very concrete guidelines. Like, no, I don't want you to flex your spine for the next two weeks. Like we'll take care of mobility later. Let's desensitize your nervous system. And more often than not, what we actually see through the desensitization process is increases in mobility. So one of the limiting beliefs is like, oh, we don't want this person. You got to keep, you got to keep doing mobility work. Like you can't stop doing these, 
contorting your body into all these positions every day. It's like, yes, you can. It's sometimes you can overdo those things. And, and when we realize that it's okay for us to be the guardrails for our patients and our clients and to, for us to stop being scared that we may be provoking fear. It's like, no, we're not provoking fear. We're just giving them some rules and some guidelines. Like Martin would always use the, uh, ankle sprain analogy. He's like, we take care of an ankle sprain beautifully. We unload it. We allow people to use crutches. We, you know, we elevate it. Even we take care of the, the swelling and inflammation. We do like very gentle active assisted movements. We don't stretch a, a, a sprained ankle. Right. But all of a sudden when it comes to the spine, all the rules change for some reason, all that logic goes out the door and we tell people, no, you can keep lifting. No, you can keep walking. No, you can keep running. And sometimes the answer is no, stop, <laughs> give your back a break. And I think once, until we as the messengers and the healthcare providers can take a firm stance and be confident in that verbiage, uh, I think a lot of people will really not know whether they should be doing something or not doing something. And as Stu McGill says, in the first phase of a low back rehabilitation program, again, after it's been diagnosed with load flexion intolerant neural tension, the diagnosis is critical. We can't just lump low back pain into one big category. Extension sensitivity and flexion sensitivity with neural tension or without neural tension, those are all very different situations. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a colleague. Follow our podcast. Leave us a review. It'll greatly help us spread the word and share this information with more practitioners. If you have any questions about any of the information, please feel free to email me at remez at neuropedicspt.com. I answer all my emails and I am willing to nerd out with any of you. All right. Thank you again for listening and have an awesome rest of your day. I want to let you know about our foundation's mentorship program. This is a 12-week program designed for orthopedic and sports physical therapists interested in better understanding how various motor control and neuromuscular rehab models can be integrated into any practice, making you a well-rounded therapist while improving outcomes. With the various motor control perspectives available to us today, oftentimes we can be left feeling confused, not knowing who to listen to and which course to take next. We know what it feels like to take a weekend course and feel like you have to choose between one approach or another, but it doesn't have to be that way. What if a certain depth of understanding in various models brought us some clarity, cognitive agility, and creativity into our clinical practice? That's our goal with this 12-week program. We'll dive deep into five of the foundational systems of motor control, like the reflex model and the dynamic systems model. We'll dissect each model's strengths and weaknesses to see how each model may complement one another through synergy. Here's what you'll get through this 12-week program. You'll get home study content, which will consist of PowerPoint audio lectures. You'll get one-on-one -on -one mentoring calls for an hour a week where we dissect practical case study examples from your current caseload so you can apply the content to your clients right away. We'll also have plenty of time for Q&A so you can get a deeper understanding of the home study material. Here's what you will not get from this program. We're not offering new techniques or fancy exercises, and we're not promoting new assessment or evaluation strategies. 
And rather than bashing other systems, we'll be taking a different approach towards motor control, an inside-out approach where we start with our why and our beliefs and values. If you're interested in learning more about this 12-week mentorship program, please email us at neuropedicspt at gmail.com. We're now offering free discovery calls so you can learn more about what we have to offer.